You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary VTW, void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus hi my name is tanya pinkins and i'm the host of the podcast you can't say that on the broadway podcast network this fall i have a special treat for you in honor of my debut feature film red pill marissa lynn daniel studio has been hosting weekly conversations with my fellow Broadway colleagues and co-host Sierra Renee about the red pilling of America. These conversations create a safe space for us to talk about the things that are on our mind with an election and a global pandemic. So join us for the red pilling of America, a spotlight series every Saturday at 5 p.m. or on the Broadway Podcast Network, you can't say that. BPN.fm forward slash YCST. Join the conversation. smart. You is important. You is dead. Tanya Pinkin's horror film, Red Pill, brings African-American perspective to progressive movement. We are a majority in this country, and we're going to win the election. Do you know what the red pill is? A red pill is someone who infiltrates a group and then destroys them from the inside. This place is spooky. Some people like to live dangerously. Gas, why are you so jumpy tonight? You know what, guys? I'm gonna go back tomorrow. Did you hear about the creature woman that attacked a father and son hunting down here? I don't see the case. This place creeps me out. We should call the sheriff's office. The only people missing or dead are brown people. They're after all of us. What do we do, Amelia? We die. But we take some of them with us. We call this the red pilling of America. And red pill has so many meanings depending on what room you're in. Um, 
One of the things it can mean is the matrix. Are we going to take the blue pill? Are we going to take the red pill? Um, it also can mean um, in some of the uh, Reddit circles or 4chan, it can mean to um, infiltrate a group and destroy it from the inside out or to infiltrate a group and turn it into a white supremacist group. It has a whole lot of meanings. Or it can mean a red pill guy is a competing, conquering, controlling guy and a blue pill guy is a beta. So there's all these meanings and we are open to exploring them all with my guest, Joanna Carpenter, who, you know, has stepped away for a minute to go get her gingerbread. You know, she's like telling us she's got like dozens of loaves of gingerbread in there. I'm like, where's mine? Like, can I give you my address so I can get my gingerbread sent me? Like, it's my favorite kind of cookie is a gingerbread cookie, but I've never had gingerbread. So, you know, I'm, I'm like, you know, on the list, begging for some gingerbread. Welcome, Joanna. Hi. Oh my gosh. I will, I will absolutely send you some gingerbread. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm not. Okay. I'll, I'll my yeah. <laughs> um, Where are you in the world? I'm in Astoria, Queens. Okay. Cool, cool, yeah. cool. I was saying, Day to Joanna, she looks Day. like she's in a theater. That looks like a theater dressing room. You know, it's got lots of light and it's, you know, there's, it seems like there are posters and art and the mirror there. Um, reminding everyone that we are in this fabulously interesting time where, um, there was an election and um, we don't know what's going to happen. I'm telling people, talk to me February 1st. I was surprised yesterday to find out that there have been, I thought, you know, the one gift of the pandemic was no mass shootings, but I found out that, and mass shooting means four people have been killed, that there have been 538 up to October 30th, 538 mass shootings. Yep. So uh, what's been on your mind, Joanna? Ooh, I mean, you mentioned the election. Uh, I It's interesting because I was um, rested for the first time since mid-July once the, you know, like at the beginning of this week after the- arrested? <laughs> no, rested. Like I've slept for the first time oh, since mid-July. Oh, okay. I, I mean, you know, anything's possible. Um, I, you know, I was doing a ton of work on the election and it's so fascinating to see uh, both the, the mental state- of America, both on the left and the right right now and everywhere in between. Um, and the the chasm that seems to separate uh, reality where like science and math lives and facts live and uh, emotionally augmented <laughs> reality. Um, and it's, you know, the election has been kind of, politics in general has been pretty much like my life, the entire pandemic, um, but also, you know, looking at the state of our industry and what an absolute trash fire it is. And, you know, your career is far more illustrious than, than mine. Um, you know, but I feel like it's always been a trash fire and now people are just acknowledging that it's a trash fire. You know, I come at this from the perspective of a Chinese American woman. So it's like, and when you say Chinese American woman, which parents Chinese, which one's American? My birth father is Chinese. Um, my my Chinese family fled China to South Korea um, mm -hmm. during the war. My birth father was actually born in South Korea. Um, they landed in California and then somehow ended up in Michigan. I'm still very confused. I don't know why they got to Michigan, but here I am. So Chinese, French, and Irish. It's an interesting, it's an interesting mix. <laughs> you speak any of those languages? 
I don't, you know, I, I grew up pretty well ostracized from the Chinese side of my family. Um, there was a lot of, there was a lot of really rough family dynamics, a lot of, uh, ethnic shaming, a lot of erasure that I grew up with. Mm. Um, and it wasn't until I was older that I decided to reestablish my own relationship, particularly with my grandmother, who is an extraordinary and powerful woman. Um, she's, she's a warrior, you know, all five feet of her. Um, but it was, you know, it's been an interesting exploration over the last decade or so to figure out what about my identity I claim, what I should feel like I should claim, what's missing, where there is like shame attachment there. Um, so that's been really, especially working in like, uh, you know, diversity and inclusion education spaces in the arts when there's really not a place for Asian American artists in many ways. Um, that's been, it's been a, it's been a ride, Tanya. So tell, tell, tell me about it. Like what is, first of all, tell me what is diversity? Tell me, say that sense again, diversity, equity, diversity and, and inclusion. inclusion. What is diversity, yeah. equity, inclusion, education? So it's interesting because now there's a title attached to it when there wasn't a title attached to it before, because now uh, diversity is trending and people are paying attention to it and really wanting to make sure that they're on top of the script. Um, you know, for me, it is doing the thing that I have been doing for years, which is uh, an equal mix of screaming from the rooftops about everything that is wrong that uh, marginalizes communities that are not um, cishet white and uh, it's a mix of that. And it's a mix of finding solutions to uh, low hanging fruit problems and trying to collaboratively build solutions to the longer term problems. Now what's um, a low hanging fruit problem? So a low hanging fruit problem could be, for example, uh, telling your one racist friend that they can't use certain terminology. Like, you know, or that they should not touch someone's hair. That's a low hanging fruit problem because it's right in front of you. And it's like, oh, this is a thing that I can address in the moment. Um, I kind of see those as like little blip opportunities that you can just be like, hey, it's fucked up. Don't touch that person's hair, please. <laughs> um, Have you, you know, and then in terms of solutions or people you're working with come up with any solutions? Uh, I think, you know, I think it depends on what you define as a solution. And I'm really interested to hear your take on that because uh, I think solutions are subjective depending on who is uh, who is on the receiving end of harm. I think solutions are, oh my God, shut up, gingerbread. Um, I think- uh, no, Pick up the computer, go get the gingerbread. We don't want no burnt gingerbread. Not, okay? I don't want any burnt you're gingerbread. You're getting the full full tour of cows. Gingerbread. Me either. (laughs) Me either. Especially especially if I'm sending you something. Um, Um, I always feel like um, people look to find solutions too quickly. Yes. Part of uh, actually coming up with a solution involves sitting in the sensation of discomfort. Yes, ma'am. And then everybody has to really get into the discomfort until everybody's in the discomfort together. And from that space of the big sensation of discomfort, when we're all there together, then we can mutually start 
brainstorming about possibilities. And from that mutual discomfort, this pot of solutions comes. And when the pot has the right things in there, the feeling of the group will change. It's not Mm -hmm. an intellectual thing. Clarity is a clearness in the body. And when solution is clear in the body, it is felt, it is embodied. And I've just not been in any group that is even interested in, in investing in that kind of process, which is long-term, which is deep, which is transformative. I have only experienced people wanting bandages that they can put on a, 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 a check off on a piece of paper. Yes. They, they made the statement. They put the social media post out. They said the, they said the words, they checked the boxes. And this is what's kind of driving me crazy, especially about the entertainment industry right now is you, there's a, there's such a stark difference between the people who very clearly want to do the work and are sitting in that discomfort. And they are still very much in the minority. Um, and people who are doing, as you said, slapping a bandaid on it, lip service is lip service. You know, you see, you see large casting offices putting out these statements and saying, you know, we have done harm and we acknowledge it. And like this whole big fucking thing. And it's like, I'm sorry, this is low risk, high reward right now, because there's no arena for you to jump into because we don't have an industry right now. So like lovely cis white gay males, like you can, you can say whatever you want to say, but actions speak louder than words. I have a question for you. Yeah. In terms of the, the physicalization of, cause I talk a lot about like trauma carried in the body and peace carried in the body and, and these things. Um, when you talk about the physicalization, the, of sitting in the discomfort, and then, you know, when you find a solution, it does manifest in your body. Can you tell me what your experience has been in terms of what that has felt like for you? Um, (laughs) I can't tell you I've been in in many situations where the problem's been solved in a group, but I can talk about it in my own lived experience. And that is that, um, clarity is, uh, it has a weight Mm. and, um, I would ask everybody who's listening in today to think about the meaning of these words. What is the difference in your instinct, your intuition, and your knowing? What are the difference in those three things? Like really sit down and and maybe journal about that. But clarity is knowing. It often does not have words. (laughs) It doesn't have reasoning attached to it. It's just uh, like, that's right. It just, yeah. Um, it's grounded. It's solid. Um, yeah, it, it just is a, it's a knowing. It's a knowing in, in the body. And um, whenever I get that bodily sensation, I take that action. But I can tell you, it's not in my head. I can't give you a a justification and explanation. It is a, I just know. I just know. Let me think of some things I know. Um, I know that life has to be in balance. 
in the way the Hindus, the Balinese talk about it. You got to have good and you got to have bad and they got to be in balance. You don't want too much of either one. It's imbalanced. So for me, that is a discipline of going, oh, there's some uncomfortable stuff coming. Come on, uncomfortable stuff. Let me be uncomfortable. Woo. I got to I got to make as much peace with that as I want to make with the, oh my God, this feels really good. Ooh. And I know, I know in an embodied, clear way that no matter what I'm feeling, it's going to pass. It's going to pass. So while it's here, let's be with it. Oh, okay. That's going to pass. Um, you know, I may be clear right now, but I could walk into a space where my clarity is gone because now this is some different kind of ground, whatever I'm in, it's going to pass. And so I try to embrace it and feel all of it, feel it as it's happening. Cause it's going to pass. I only get this a little bit of time to feel it. You know, what is it to be a human and to be sentient? If it isn't to feel everything we get to feel that no other creature gets to feel. <laughs> Has that become a practice for you? This, this, uh, this mechanism of choosing to sit in the feeling, choosing to feel and welcome it in rather than try to uh, exit stage left, numb it, ignore it, whatever. Because it seems like that for most of us, uh, it seems like that must be a practice. It's not something that's necessarily instilled in us. It's completely a discipline. And it's a discipline that, you know, developed from an earlier habit of dissociating because the pain was so bad that it felt that I would die. So I had to just leave my body. I just had to leave my body and literally have experienced watching myself from on the ceiling, watching myself do things because, you know, Mm -hmm. yeah. Have you felt that? Yeah. I thought, you know, yes. And it's, it's interesting because I think we get, I, I'll just speak for, for my personal experience. Um, I got conditioned to pain, um, mostly emotional, but also physical pain at a very young age. And it's, it kind of does. Get exactly oh God. Yeah. I mean, listen, I was an asshole growing up. Like I was a problem child, but like, you know, it's, it I'm going to challenge that. What would be, make you a problem child? Uh, I acted out a lot because I felt unseen and unheard. And I did not have the skill set or the safe space to put those feelings into words. So until I got to middle school and high school where I was channeling that energy into athletics and music, um, I would just, I was a Tasmanian devil of a child. And even in high school, like I stole a car when I was like 14, you know, which is dumb to do in a small town. Don't ever do it because your mom will catch you driving and then drag you to the police station herself. Um, it sounds you know. like you were bored. It I was not like bored. bored and you were not challenged and you were in an environment where it was just like not interesting. <laughs> was that in terms of the academics? I was, I was very unchallenged. I was, I was very bored and I was just kind of like, what is the point of all this? But there was, there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of tumultuous happenings from like the moment I was born to the moment I left home. But you got to tell us what that is. Cause we don't know what. what yeah. That? Yeah. <laughs> My, my family's very, very uh, disjointed, very, very broken family. Um, and it's one of those families that's like very good at pretending that everything is fine. 
Um, and we don't, we don't talk so about you things. You were acting out what you were feeling. You were watching it being repressed. And so you were like, there's an elephant in the room. Let me show you the elephant. <laughs> well, and you know, go back to what we were talking about in terms of shame. There was a lot of shame tactics. There was a lot of manipulation coming from, you know, uh, people very, very close to me who should have been my best support structure, but a lot of shame, a lot of just like really deeply rooted brokenness that then translates to your children because the things that are broken in you, if you don't heal them, they translate to your children. And that's exactly what happened. So I was just like, I was in so much pain as a kid and we were super poor. Like I'm a professional poor person. I'm very good at it. Me too. But yeah, it's, you know, you just my you get real good at doing that. It's my yes. superpower. It's like, <laughs> you can't buy me and you can't make me unhappy yeah. by yeah. telling yeah. me that I'm not going to get it. I can be really happy poor. <laughs> you uh-huh. have to offer uh-huh. me something more than some money. You figured it out. Yeah. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Um, but it was like, you know, growing up that poor, it's like I. There was a lot of shame attached to that as well. And I got to so, stop before you jump ahead. Because yeah. I truly believe when I see some of these, you know, I travel a lot. And you go to countries and kids just grow. They're alive. They're with their friends. They're with their family. They're happy. Poor yeah. is a judgment that somebody outside puts on them. They don't know they're poor. Yeah. They're just alive and life is living and expressing and that's it. And whatever they have, that's what they have. And they don't know that that they're supposed to or not supposed to have anything else. So poor yeah. is something that comes from outside. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's interesting because uh, I think because my parents were always very aware of it. It was like my mom tried to get ahead of it and be like, well, we're poor, so you suck. And I was like, mm. okay, you know, I, this, I don't know what to tell you. Um, I'm not the moneymaker in the family. I'm eight. Um, so it's, it's interesting just to see the reflection of that in, um, in a grown adult who chooses to also sit in discomfort mm. and sit weight of these feelings and go, you know, we, we all have our triggers, right? Like every single one of us has a list of triggers and some of them are more obvious and visible and some of them are not so obvious and visible. Um, but it's, it's so fascinating to have gone through the process of like investing in therapy and investing in self and investing in, in self-care and choosing to go, I'm deeply uncomfortable right now. And this is causing me pain. And this is reminding me of other moments that have caused me pain. 
but I'm going to choose to breathe and treat this as an opportunity to learn something. It doesn't mean somebody has to hurt me in order for me to learn something. It just means that I'm supposed to be here in this moment right now. And then when it's time for the moment to pass, it will pass. So what's one of your triggers? One of my triggers is uh, violence for sure, which is interesting because I'm a boxer. Or verbal violence. Uh, both, both, um, like loud yelling is very, very triggering for me. Um, but physical violence, you know, I'm, I'm a survivor of, of domestic violence and sexual assaults and, you know, all of that. And, um, there are things that, uh, have stuck with me, you know, because you just said some heavy shit. (laughs) This is like the headspace I live in. So I'm like, let's go. Absolutely. (laughs) I live in that headspace too, but that's some heavy stuff. And yes, when you survive that, you um, you, get, you get some tough skin. Mm-hmm. You get some tough skin, but it doesn't mean that, um, like my trigger is um, I've only ever been um, harmed by someone who presented as caring about me. Those are the ones that get me like someone presents as caring. I let them in and they dig the knife in Uh because you present me with hostility. I know how to meet hostility, but the people who present as I I love you, I care Mm -hmm. for you in goes the knife. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That sneak attack kind of vibe is like not, I hate that. That's most of the ones that I've experienced. It's always been someone who I've invited in because I felt safe and trusted them. And those were the ones that have always gotten me. Yeah. Yeah. I've experienced the same. I think my issues with those were like, those people were, you know, borderline sociopathy on, on their side of things, you know, like you when you call a sociopath into your life and then the pattern starts to repeat itself, it's like, Oh, this is not fun. I I used to say I had psycho radar. If they were, if I was falling for them, they were definitely a psycho. (laughs) Maybe that's why I'm still single. Oh my God, Tanya. That might be it. That might be it. When I feel certain bubbly, bubbly, like, Ooh, bubbly, bubbly. I know. Stay away. (laughs) Shit. (laughs) I even often try to date people that I don't feel that bubbly bubbly for. Uh huh. Uh huh. (laughs) You're like, there might be normal tucked under this skin canvas. There might be normal because I'm not all bubbly bubbly where my brain doesn't work anymore because I just go like belly up, like I just turn into mush. No, that's a sign, psycho. And if they weren't a psycho, the fact that I just become a puddle is going to turn them into one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, God, there's something about it. There's, there's something about it. Um, that's so, so, oh dear Lord, especially in the middle of like a casual global pandemic where the loneliness factor is like real, real. And I think coming hard on the heels of the loneliness factor is that I, Marissa, I hope I'm allowed to curse. Cause I curse like a sailor. The like coming on the heels of that is the fuck it mentality where it's like, I'm lonely and I've watched my world crumble around me and my industry crumble around me. And I don't know what the light at the end of the tunnel is. And I feel the bubbly bubbly, but I'm also going to say fuck it <laughs> because 
life is too short. Life is too short. And then what happens? And then we've got COVID and maybe some other things and we're going to die. But hey, fuck it. The world's going to end anyway. (laughs) I know many people who have made new relationships in the middle of the pandemic on dating apps. How? I know many. How? How? Are you on any dating apps, Tanya? No, I did that. I found my sociopaths on my dating apps. No more. <laughs> single for life. Single for life. Oh my God. <laughs> but I'm old. You got a lot of time left. You need to go out and have some fun. <laughs> risk the COVID. Make some friends. See what happens. Don't risk the COVID. Don't Tell risk what. the COVID because um, we don't know what long COVID's going to do. My daughter happens to be a COVID tracker. Um, that's her Ooh. job. And she said on an average day, today is November 20th. On an average day, she makes about a hundred yeah. calls a day and she's finished in like three hours today for the first time they had over a thousand calls. No way. I mean, look at the numbers. Yeah. And the holidays yeah. have not begun. The holidays have not begun, but the stupidity has never stopped. Well, I think that we have the challenge of misinformation. I was looking at an article today that had a headline that there is no guarantee that masks work. Most people are only going to read that headline. If you actually read through to the entire article, it said they don't work if everybody doesn't wear them. But if everybody wears them, they work. Well, for me, it's irresponsible to put a headline like that because most people only read a headline. Well, and that's the thing, that's the thing about the era that we live in and the America that we live in now, because everybody, uh, you know, everybody serves on the court of public opinion and nine times out of 10 people are reading the headline and assuming they know the contents of the article and making judgments and behavioral choices based on that. So we have millions of just uninformed people running around thinking that they know things without like, when did we stop reading? I blame Facebook, but when did we stop reading and actually looking for the information, vetting sources, or have we ever done that? Well, yes, there's, I mean, there's, there's cultures of reading and that is a lot by design that, um, this idea of moving towards a bookless society is all part of, um, build, building compliant citizens. Um, There's a book called The Deliberate Dumbing Down of America by Charlotte Isserby, who was the head of the Department of Education under Ronald Reagan. And she actually looked into the records to see what was the purpose. And the purpose was to build compliant citizens. And part of building a compliant citizen means the thing she discovered was defreezing values. We could not have absolute rights or wrongs or black or white because the government needed to be able to set them and then tell you what they were in each situation. So it was always a moving target. So it's going to always go against your sense of clarity. Um, Indigenous wisdom and knowledge that has to be wiped out because if you have something that you are clear about and you answer to that's not the government, then you are a problem. You have to be removed. Yeah. Yeah. It's very Orwellian. It's very Orwellian, which is a trip. Oh my God. And it's, you know, I was so up to my eyeballs in, in, 
political work for the last few months. What were you doing? What political work were you doing specifically? It was, it was a combination of stuff, uh, kind of an evolution. Mid-July, I started hosting phone banking sessions to scream at the Senate for relief legislation. Um, mm-hmm. When they decided to take recess and not pass uh, any sort of updated legislation, um, I pivoted my group and started um, looking ahead towards the election. So it was making sure that everybody in my group was registered to vote and had a voting plan. Um, we had a we had a gigantic database that we built that was just how to vote in every state, vote by mail, vote in person, early voting, registration deadlines, mail-in deadlines. Um, you, can someone else drop your ballot off for you? What does this do to my unemployment benefits if I'm filing in New York, but I'm living in Tennessee now? Um, And it became a gigantic movement to get uh, our networks across the country organized to make a voting plan and get people registered. Um, Especially, you know, there's been such an exodus from New York City and people are moving to swing states. They are moving back to family homes in Oklahoma and North Carolina and Pennsylvania and Arizona. So it was a lot of that. And then I ended up taking a team down to Atlanta for election day um, because I had been speaking with some organizers on the ground there for months. And I was like, you know, what, what do you need? And they were like, we need supplies for voters online. These lines are so long and they, they move slow and people do not have the time. They're frustrated and they're hungry and they're thirsty. So there were eight of us that went to Atlanta um, for election day and basically like stocked up on like, masks and bottled water and you know fruit snacks and hand sanitizer and granola bars and we covered 12 different precincts across like from north to south in Atlanta and just you know tried to try to be a service if we could um we were able to also stock up a, a big community fridge there which was really exciting and uh some of the team members had a whole had like a big stack of N95s that they were able to donate to a hospital down the road from our hotel um so it was it was pretty rad. That but like it's just incredibly up. powerful. And Georgia went blue for is it the third count we've done now? <laughs> it's, yeah, it's like remember when Biden won Georgia twice? Like how how many more do you need? Somebody posted yesterday, sex is good, but watching Biden win twice is better. <laughs> Honestly, it's facts. I saw one the other day too that was sure sex is good, but have you ever thought about beating the shit out of Mitch McConnell? And I was like, me, it's me. <laughs> Who is pandering directly to me? <laughs> this is Tanya Pinkins, and you're listening to Spotlight the Red Pilling of America, a weekly conversation I have focused around my debut horror film, Red Pill. This is part one of my conversation with actress, activist, Joanna Carpenter. Hi, I'm Tanya Pinkins, and I would love to hear from you. You can text me at 917-724-8998. Tell me what you're up to, and I'll let you know what I'm up to. Text me, 917-724-8998. Let's keep in touch. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work 
or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R E R I S E T H E A T R E dot org because only together we rise. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.